So as we <clears throat> begin Lent, uh, you know, there's one, one real quick thing on Ash Wednesday. We've been, I don't know if you smell the incense, but the incense changes with each of the seasons. I don't know if you caught that, but the incense you're smelling right now, whether you like it or not, that is myrrh. And so we're using its real, all-natural, organic myrrh, right? And so it, it stinks a little, but it's to remind us of what? Death, right? The impending death that's coming through the crucifixion. During the Christmas season, you would have smelled frankincense. That's real frankincense, obviously, because of the, the gifts from the Magi. And then during uh, Easter season, we use rose, right? Which is this beautiful, perfumey, rose-like substance. So anyway, just a little heads up on that. As we begin Lent, uh, I like to call it the 40 days of renewal, right? Everything in the church is biblical. Uh, our, our, the liturgy is biblical. The teachings are biblical. The catechism is based on the Bible. But today we see a very explicit way in which this biblical uh, numerology ties into the entire season. So we're given the day, 40 days, right? There's 40 days of Lent. The number 40 appears all over the Bible. It's everywhere, right? So you have the 40, nights, 40 days, 40 nights of the flood of Noah. You have the 40 years that the Israelites spent in uh, the, the, the desert. You have, prior to that, Moses was in the desert tending flocks for 40 years. Samson, right? Uh, the, the great powerful Samson. He was, uh, after 40 years of being afflicted by the Philistines... He crushes them, and when he destroys the entire temple. Moses is up on Mount Sinai for 40 days and 40 nights. Goliath taunts Saul's army 40 days before David kills him. Elijah flees from Jezebel for 40 days and 40 nights until he gets to Mount Sinai. Jeremiah preached for 40 years before the destruction of Israel. Jesus was sent 40 days and 40 nights into the desert. And there are 40 days between the resurrection and the ascension. That's just some of them. Okay? There's a lot of them. So what do they all have in common? As I was kind of looking at them, praying through them, reading through the stories, it seems to me that there is a, a death and then a renewal of new life. So Noah, right? There's the death of the whole world, basically, through the flood. And then this renewal through Moses of humanity. Take, for example, uh, Moses as he comes out of Egypt. There is the death that they suffered in slavery. And then the death of the Egyptians in the Red Sea. They come out of it into a new life that eventually is promised to them in the promised land under this new law that God has given to them. David slays Goliath. The death of Goliath signifies the reign of King David is now in order which will be prophesied. Uh, that the Davidic king will have the reign that will never end through Jesus. So what about us? What's our death? What's our renewal or our new life that we're supposed to experience during these 40 days? I think in order to understand it, you've got to go back to the early church. Okay? We haven't done this for a little bit, but I'm going to ask to do a little question and answer. Okay? So Lent was part of the process in the early church of making your full communion with the church. What do we call that in the modern day and age? When you come into the church, if you're not a Catholic and you prepare, you have a per period of preparation, you come into the church. What's that called? RCIA. What does that stand for? Okay, I see you. 
What does it mean? For adults. Right of Christian initiation for adults. How long does our CIA take in our day and age? Nope. But that was a good guess. That was a good guess. 40 days was a good guess. It takes about five to seven months. Okay? Roughly. Last question. How long did our CIA, which we didn't call it that. We called it like the time of, of penance and enlightenment or something. How long did it take in the early church? Any guesses? Three years. Three years. So when people are like, they want to come into the church, they're like, what? Five months? I'm like, shut up. You know, like, we've already made it too easy. But why was it three years? Because the world was so hostile to Christians. You know, the, the minute you, you said yes to Christ and you turned your life over to him, you guys, everything changed. Not so anymore. You know, back in the early church, there were two jobs that you couldn't even, one of the fathers of the church writes about it, you couldn't even, if you were a Christian, you couldn't take these jobs. One of them was a soldier in the Roman army. And it's not because of what you think. You think it's because they go and kill everybody, right? Wrong. That's not why. There's not, the, the Christian church has nothing against War and, def- I mean, we, we want to just war, but defense of the state. The problem was, is that Roman soldiers, before they became a Roman soldier, had to put incense into a little bowl that was before a statue of Caesar. And so what does that mean? That means that they worship Caesar as God. Christians can't do that. You can't be a soldier. And if you were a soldier, you quit. The other one was teachers. And you know why? Because teachers taught about the Roman Pagan gods. Can't teach about that anymore. You're a Christian. I just don't see that happening in our day and age. And so they go through this three-year process. And on top of that, once you got baptized, there was a very good chance you would die. So think about that too. It took three years to be like, do you really want to do this? Do you really want to get on board with Jesus and give your life to him completely? The last 40 days of that three-year period, that is what they called Lent. And it was when the rest of the church joined the, what we call catechumens, those coming into the church. We joined them and said, it's kind of like cheering them on on the last mile of a marathon or something. Like, we're going to do it with you. We're going to get you across the finish line so you become part of the family. We, like the church, right now, live in a hostile world. 60, 70 years ago, it was easy to be Catholic. Now, you got to be intentional. You got to suffer. You got to be courageous. You got to be bold. And you got to really live it. I'm not, if you're just, if it's just on the side for you, you know, if you come here on Sunday because it's an obligation, you show up late, you leave early, it doesn't affect you in your life at all. It's easy to live a Catholic life, really easy. Because it doesn't, it really has no effect. It has no grounding in your life. But if you really live it, really live it, Proclaim it to people that are around you. Live it in the workplace. You know, debate with people on topics that you're going to suffer, I promise you. In our second reading, St. Peter, right before what we hear today, he simply said this. If you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, blessed are you. Do not be, a terif- do not be terrified or afraid because of them. But sanctify Jesus in your heart. 
Always be ready to give an explanation to anyone who asks for a reason for your hope. But do it with gentleness and reverence. Keeping your conscience clear so that when you are maligned, those who defame your conduct in Christ may themselves be put to shame. It is better for you to suffer for doing good, if that be God's will, than to do evil. We are living in a world that increasingly is doing more and more and more evil. We're not living in a Christian nation, and we're in a persecution right now. And if you think this is like where it's really bad, you're crazy. It's going to get a lot worse. In 2010, I told my students at St. Mary's, I remember this very clearly, because I made a bet with them. I said, in 10 to 20 years, you will see martyrs in America. Martyrs. That means people who are killed for their belief in Jesus. You will see that in America. Now, I was not alone. I'm reminded Francis Cardinal George, the Archbishop of Chicago, about 10 years ago. He said this, I will die in my bed. My successor will die in prison. And his successor will die a martyr in the public square. And people sit back and they're like, well, that can't happen in America. Come on, this is the land of the free, the home of the brave, religious liberties. Really? Like, we're the, we're the first Christian nation to ever exist? That, didn't, that went wrong? I'm going to give you two quick ones, France and Mexico. You guys, France has more saints almost than any other country in the world. They call it the sister church to Rome. And yet, in the 1700s, the late 1700s, the French Revolution broke out. And thousands, if not tens of thousands, of priests, religious, and laity were put to death publicly in the streets. And here's the kicker. You know who put them to death? Other Catholics. The guillotine. And they had to choose between France, the state, service to that, or the church and Jesus. I wonder, I was wondering this, and I wonder for myself as much as for all of you in this church. If when we walked out those doors today, that there were guillotines lined up in the street. And there were federal agents outside. And they said, you have a choice to make right now. Either you serve this Catholic church that you proclaim that you love so much, or you serve America. How many of us would lay down on that bench? Because in France, the blood ran thick in the streets. How about Catholic Mexico? You know, they, they boast the, the fastest conversion with the most amount of people. There were six million people that converted in seven years. And yet, in the early 1900s, the Mexican government put to death thousands of priests, religious, and laity for nothing more than belonging to Jesus. My, I had a friend in seminary. He was from Mexico, and his great uncle was killed in this persecution. He was a priest. You know what they did to him? They cut the skin on his hand, on his palms. They, they, they filleted it off, 
and they filleted off the skin on his feet and made him walk five miles to a place where they hung him. Catholics did that to Catholics. Pope Benedict once said, Soon the church will become much smaller. There are persecutions coming, and she will no longer be able to inhabit many of the edifices that she built in her prosperity. She will lose many of her social privileges. And then the church will make much greater demands on her individual members. You know who her individual members are? Us right here. What is coming soon, my friends, will make great demands on you, your family, and your livelihood. So what does this have to do with the 40 days of Lent that we have before us? I don't know about you, but for years, for Lent, it was always about losing a little weight, getting a little stronger, and slightly more prayerful. Until I had my conversion. Now I see that Lent is all about learning how to die to yourself. You know? I mean, people give up all types of things. People sleep on the floor, take cold showers, only eat fish, you know? Uh, Give up happiness. That's what I always like to say. But if you're still a jerk to everybody around you, you've missed the meaning. If you still yell at your wife or your husband, you've missed the meaning. If you still freak out on your kids over the smallest thing, you've missed the meaning. Lent is about learning how to die to yourself so that you can ultimately live for him and for others. I realize this this year more effectively than ever. You know, we pray this little thing called the Liturgy of the Hours. We pray five times a day. We pray Office of Readings, morning prayer, midday prayer, evening prayer, night prayer. And in the Office of Readings, there is a reading from Scripture. It's the first thing you do as Lent begins. And in there, it says this from the prophet Isaiah. Your fast days, you carry them out with your own pursuits in mind. Your fast ends in quarreling and fighting. This isn't what I desire of you. But rather, what I desire of you is that you release those bound unjustly, set free the oppressed, share your bread with the hungry, shelter the homeless, clothe the naked. Do not turn your back on anyone. If you remove from your midst this oppression, false accusation, malicious speech, if you bestow food on the hungry and satisfy the afflicted around you, then light shall rise from you from darkness. Then the Lord will guide you always and give you plenty. The ancient ruins I will rebuild and the foundations of ages past I will raise up. That's renewal. That's what he expects from his people in these 40 days. He wants you to get rid of all the gossip, the malicious speech, the hatred, the fighting, the quarreling. Get rid of the oppression in your family and your friends, your extended family. Help the poor. And ultimately get rid of getting your way. That is the the absolute killer of humanity. Me. Lent is all about him and others.
So start looking to the other. I want to finish with, you know, I, I gave you that quote from Cardinal George. It's not as bad as it sounds because I didn't finish it. Let me give you the whole quote. He said, I will die in my bed. My successor will die in prison. And his successor will die a martyr in the public square. But his successor will pick up the shards of a ruined society and slowly help rebuild civilization yet again, as the church has done so often in human history. I am convinced that if we don't start training now, we will never survive what is coming. But if we do, not only will we survive it, but we will be the saints that people look upon and say, they're the ones that not only survived the great persecution, but rebuilt the civilization that was broken and destroyed. You got 40 days. Make them count.